open up our Bibles to uh, Genesis 34. Genesis 34. This morning we're going to be in our prayer passage, um, which is all the way in the New Testament, all the way at the end of the New Testament almost, in the book of Jude. Uh, Jude. And Jude is a shortened version of Judah. Okay, the name Judah. And Judah uh, plays a prominent role in the Old Testament and um, for the simple fact that kings, Israelite kings, needed to descend uh, from Abraham through the line of Judah. Uh, the kings uh, came from Judah, whereas priests came from the Levites. And so um, Jude, who wrote our prayer passage this morning, was Jesus's half-brother. Uh, Jude had royal blood going back to David and Judah through both his mother and his father. Okay? Through both Mary and Joseph, Jude had regal blood. And they named him after the namesake of the kingly line. They named him after the person Judah. Okay? And in, in Greek, it gets shortened uh, to Jude. Um, it also gets shortened to, it also gets spoke, said as Judas, uh, sometimes, and Judas was a very popular name uh, at this time as well, Jude, uh, Judas, and so forth. But Jude was named after Judah. And so what I wanted to do this morning was give you a little bit of the background on this name, Judah, and discover a little bit about his life, because it's a life that Jesus wants to identify with. Now, this begs the question, what sort of person does Jesus want to identify with? This was the question that Simon the Pharisee was thinking when Jesus was eating dinner with him, and a prostitute came and was kissing his feet and taking the myrrh necklace that she had and anointing his feet and wiping her, his feet with her hair in this totally inappropriate display in his mind. And Simon was a good guy in his mind. He was a law-abiding citizen. He was he memorized most of the Old Testament. He kept his life unstained from the world, or so he thought. And Simon was sitting there thinking, God in the flesh would not want to associate with this woman, and God in the flesh would want us to associate with a person like me. Okay. So that's a question. Who does God in the flesh want to associate with? What type of person does Jesus really identify with? Well, let's consider the name Judah, because this is the type of person that Jesus says, I will be the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're going to, through our Christmas singing, say things like, the star will not depart from Judah. This is why we just sang about the three kings looking for the star, because this was the fulfillment of the great prophecy, that the star would not depart from Judah. But there's a name, there's a, a life behind that name. And let's discover what that life was like. And we'll do it very briefly. We'll go over the material very quickly. Judah was one of Jacob's sons. So you know... Uh, there was Abraham, there was Isaac, 
and there was Jacob. Abraham had a, a small problem. He took a second wife, and she bore him Ishmael. And that became a thorn in the flesh of Abraham's descendants. Isaac, his son, did not have these problems of polygamy. He loved his wife exclusively and did a good job this way. And Jacob and Esau both, however, gave in to the sins of their grandfather, but did so in a really demonstrative way. Jacob went off. He left. He was on the run from his brother. And he ended up far away, and he married two women, and then he married two additional women. So he had four wives. Very technically, he had two wives and two concubines. But let's just call them four wives. Okay? Now, how many of you, I won't ask for a raise of hands, some of us grew up in homes where there was a mom and a stepdad, uh, step-parents and biological parents. And you know, you can say from experience, even if those relationships were always really good, um, which typically speaking they're not, but let's pretend for a moment that they're really good, those step-parent relationships create a lot of trouble, don't they? Um, who's going to be with the children this day? Who's going to be together this night? When is this going to take place? How do we get them there? How do these parents interrelate? What of, uh, what of rules in the household? When the child is with this parent, it's a certain way. When the child is with that parent, it's a different way. And it creates all sorts of trouble. Now imagine that of all these children with four different moms and dad, and all the drama that that would create. The book of Genesis highlights the drama and the hurt feelings and the dysfunction that surrounded that family because of Jacob's very poor choice to take four wives. Okay. When we come to Genesis 34, there is a terrible scene. One of Jacob's, Jacob's only daughter gets raped. And then she ends up wanting to marry the boy who raped her. The boy comes with his dad, who also happens to be the leader of this village, and they come to the Israelites and they say, we want to have Dinah as our daughter, and, or as, a, as, as uh, this, uh, this young man's wife, uh, Hamor's son, wants to marry her. And and, and the boys deceive them. They say, well, if you get circumcised, uh, we'll, we'll let you marry Dinah. But they had no desire of marrying her off to them. And Hamor and his clan thought, this is great. We'll be able to intermarry with them. All we have to do is undergo this very brief surgical procedure. We'll be sore for a few days, but then we're going to rake in the money. This is going to be awesome. Well, the boys waited just a few days until the men couldn't respond. And they went into that city, Judah included, and they slaughtered those people. They went in and they killed them in cold blood. People who had nothing to do with that crime, they killed in cold blood. They sold their supplies and they took their women into captivity. This was nothing less than gangster activity. It was cold, heartless, awful. 
There's no excuse for it. And you can't take the awfulness out of it. And Judah had a part of that. When we come to Genesis 37, there's one brother of these other ones whose name is Joseph. And Joseph is exceptional. He's a really good kid. And his dad does a foolish thing and shows him extreme favoritism. And maybe you know this story. Jacob does a foolish thing. He knows. What, what have we seen about the other boys? They're murderous. They, they take no prisoners. They sell people into slavery. They sell women into the sex trade. Th these are awful, awful people. The type of people that we see performing atrocities in Israel right now. The, the, these are, this is the same sort of spirit that goes into those that fill the hearts of the people in Hamas. Jacob knows this, and yet he sends Joseph on an errand to go check up on them. Now, how many of you, when you were in elementary school, really liked the teacher's pet? You loved them. You thought they were the greatest person. Show of hands, this is, a, th this is an environment of acceptance. How many of you were the teacher's pet? Oh, no! We love you. <laughs> were, you were you, Danielle? Oh, no? Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, Joseph was the teacher's pet. And... They sent, J Jacob sent this teacher's pet into the lion's den. And it says that they beat him up. And they threw him in a pit. And Joseph was um, a physical specimen. He was a really strong, tough young man. But compared to his 11 other brothers, he stood no chance. And they hurt him. We know from the Psalter, it says they put a hook in his nose. They bound him with iron shackles. Um, they, they badly beat him up and threw him into a pit. And they were going to kill him. They were just going to leave him there. But Judah had an idea. Judah had an idea. And this is in chapter 37. I had, you turn to 37. Let's go to verse 26. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now, this isn't, this isn't a man being magnanimous. He's saying, look, we're already in trouble with dad. Let's at least get a few nickels out of it. Let, let's not just kill him and bury him. This is an asset that we can monetize. So he said, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not, let, let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Okay, There was 10 of them involved in this crime. A 12th brother, Benjamin, was soon to come. So each of them got two little silver coins, two silver coins. Judah took his two little silver coins and put them in his pocket. They sold Joseph off. They lied to their dad about what happened. And that is only the second step for Judah in a life that's gone off the rails. Okay, 
He's a murderous, pitiless man who beats up his brother and now sells his brother into slavery. And to make matters worse, Judah is a hypocrite of the highest order. So Judah says, you know what? I'm tired of all this drama. I'm tired of all this family drama. I'm tired of feeling guilty over what we did to Joseph. I'm tired of all this stuff. So he left home. Now, this was a specific, this is in disobedience to a specific command of God not to leave home. But look at verse chapter 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again, she bore a son and called his name Shelah. And Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. The, uh, the grammar here indicates that Judah was attracted to this woman simply for her looks. And it's the, the text describes such vagaries to indicate that Judah almost certainly did not marry this woman. Uh, this was a, a live-in girlfriend, as it were. And this was a relationship born in lust. Judah is away from the family. He's hanging out with his buddy named, uh, what was his name, Hira? Hanging out with his buddy, far away, living the, living the big life. And he's got a pretty wife, or, well, a girlfriend, a living girlfriend, and uh, they're making babies. Judah was a terrible father. A terrible father. We're told that his oldest son, uh, Shua, was so wicked, was so wicked, that God chose to kill him outright rather than have him live into adulthood. Now think about the tyrants that have lived even in this century that God let live into adulthood. And God looked at Shua and went, he is so bad. I cannot let him get into his adult years. And judiciously, God just killed him. And this was after Judah had married Shua to Tamar. There was a law back then that if you had brothers and the other brother died without bearing any sons, then the younger brother would take this woman as wife. And so... Judah gave Ur instructions to take Tamar as his wife. Ur wasn't really happy about this arrangement. And so I'll let you read the text, and you can find out the nuances of the text. But he would basically just use her as a plaything uh, without giving her any hope that she would bear a child. And he did this repeatedly, and just using her physically for his lust, but not following through and allowing her to conceive any children. And God found his character and his behavior in this to be so wrong that God judiciously killed her as well. Judah 
in that culture had an obligation to Tamar. He had an obligation not only to give her his third son, but to bring her into his house and take care of her. In those days, when you married your son off, you brought the daughter into your family. And she became a daughter of yours. And you didn't consent for marriage, to marriage for your son, unless you were prepared to take up the responsibilities for that lady should she become a young widow. So Judah had this obligation to care for her, and instead he sent her back home because Judah thinks that she's the problem. It's not Shua who was so wicked God just killed him. It's not Ur who was... I, wouldn't, I don't know that raping her is the right word, but you can read the text and come up with your own word. It's bad. It's not them. It's not him. And so he just sends her back home. And Tamar is observing, and she sees the third son is not given to her. And she sees that Judah encounters a personal tragedy. Look at verse 12 of chapter 38. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, and the text literally reads, in the course of time, the woman of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. He and his friend, his old buddy, Hira the Adulamite, and Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timna to shear his sheep. Now, let's pause right there. We have this phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's not true, but it's the phrase that we have. The ancient world had a phrase, what happens at sheep shearing stays at sheep shearing. It was a time of drunkenness and prostitution and um, partying. Um, the farmer boys who get together, these are guys that are usually kind of spread out all over the countryside, and they get together and they live it up, they get drunk, they bring in girls, and they party. Tamar knew this. And Tamar knew that Judah was going to sleep with the first prostitute that he saw. That was his character. She looked at Judah and said to herself, he's going to sleep with the first prostitute he sees. And she was right. So she became the first prostitute that he saw. She took off, according to chapter 38 here, her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance of Enaim, which is the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not given him in marriage. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she covered her face. And he turns to her and propositions her. Now, <laughs> Judah is not only murderous, he's not only um, lustful, he's not only a hypocrite, he's not only a deadbeat, he's really stupid. Um, imagine a gentleman in our congregation got caught 
soliciting a prostitute. We would say, oh. But we would move toward that person and love and care and help them. But imagine if when we move toward that person in love and care and hope, he says, yeah, I got another problem. And we're like, what? I gave her my credit card and social security number. We would say, what? <laughs> what were you thinking? It's like you were so far gone that you did this, that too? And that's what he does. As security, he gives her his ring that identifies himself, and he gives her his signet cord, which is another means of personal identification. And he sleeps with her. And she conceives. Why would Tamar do that? Well, as best we can tell, she wanted to be a part of the covenant family of Abraham. Now, it was a very wrong thing of her to do, but we're not excusing it, but let's ask the question, who put her in that position? Who put her in the position to have to be that desperate? Well, it was Judah. And what she was doing in her mind, and this is how she justified it, I'm only making him do what he was obligated to do to begin with. So she conceives. Judah goes off and parties, has a big time comes back three months later, however long it took Tamar to show. Judah's told, hey, Tamar's pregnant. And Judah thinks, oh good. Now I can get rid of my problem. He says, bring her out here and let her be burned. Let her be burned. Burn her alive. There was no crime in Israel, believe it or not, no punishment for prostitution. It was not something in the law that was discussed. Um, there should have been restitution made. Um, if anybody was to die for this sin, it was to be Judah. But he thinks, oh, do you hear the hypocrisy? Look what she did, let her be burned. No thought that he's the more guilty one. Now, that is the low point of his life. That's the low point of his life. And God is about to do something really, really gracious for him. God is about to grace him with a public humiliation. Okay. Now, before I go further, I, this is a warning I will give myself when temptation comes knocking at the door. And if it can be a warning for you, let it be. Neither God nor the devil are willing to allow you to keep that sin private. The devil wants to make you humiliated over it. And God wants you to get it out of your life. And so if you think you can keep, if I think, and this is what I tell myself, if I think I can keep that little sin private, 
there are forces far bigger than me who will not let that happen. They will bring it to light. And for the devil, it will be for humiliation, and for God, it will be for grace. And God graces this man. The Tamar says, wait a minute, before you burn me alive, I am pregnant by the man who owns these. And they're Judas things. His ring and his signet cord. She says to Judah, examine them and see if you know who they belong to. And he knows immediately that it was him. And he says, go down to chapter 38, verse 26. And this, my friends, is where Judah's life turns around. Okay, this is where Judah's life turns around. Then Judah identified them and said, she is, I don't like this translation. I don't often advise you to do this. You need to take a pen and write something else in there. She is righteous, not me. She is righteous, not me. I did not give her to my son Sheila. And here we get a little sense of where Judah's life is headed. And he didn't know her again. The next time we meet Judah, he's back home, where he should have been all along. There's no more Hira the Adulamite in the cave. The next time we meet Judah, Tamar is with him. And the next time we meet Judah, Judah is raising his sons as best he can. So what did Judah do? What did Judah do? He suffered this public humiliation. He declared her righteous and himself unrighteous. He kept his obligations. He brought Tamar back into his home. But he did not, he treated her as a daughter and not as a wife. And he forevermore kept their relationship above board. And then he took Tamar and those boys, went back up to the covenant community where she wanted to be. And he started raising those boys as best he could in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He's going to do this for a long time. He's going to do this for a long time. Let's go to Genesis 44. Okay, Notice that we're skipping ahead several passages. I'm going to skip ahead a bunch in the story here. Judah's back home, raising his boys. There's nothing... These are things we're putting together by little snatches of his biography that we pull from other places. Never does the text spell that out explicitly, but we know it. In other words, Judah just went home anonymously, started doing the right thing. And for years and years and years, he just stuck at that. Nothing special, but just doing the right thing. Just doing the right thing, the simple act of doing the right thing. And there's a famine in the land, 
You guys know the story. His brothers, Judah included, went to Joseph. They didn't know it was Joseph. Joseph brings them along these tests. Joseph has them back the following year, throws them a big party. And then Joseph does something really wise. He sets up Benjamin. Benjamin was his blood brother. There was only two brothers by Rachel, and that was uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And he sets up this really dramatic scene where he accuses them of stealing. And then then as they're leaving town, the police catch him, and they say, you stole from our Lord. And they're like, we are innocent men. Well, they weren't innocent men, but in that case, they thought they were. But Joseph had this planned out. And they started by searching the oldest man's things, and then the next oldest man's things, and the next oldest man. And they just kept going down the line, and with each bag that they opened where there was no contraband there, the boys' confidence grew and their vindication grew. And I'm sure they had little smart comments like, you know, take your time, boys. You're not going to find anything, you know, all this stuff. And then they get to Benjamin, the youngest brother, Joseph's full blood brother. They get to him, and what do they find? The planted evidence. And he looks as guilty as can be. Now, you, you who had who, people who are the oldest sibling in your family, okay? Imagine your brother, your little brother, doing something so stupid, and there he's caught red-handed. What do you want to do to him? You want to like take and smack him in the back of the head, right? What Joseph was doing was giving those brothers every opportunity to abandon Benjamin. They could send Benjamin back to the authorities and go back to Jacob and say, look, he stole. And they, they, he was caught red-handed. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go to jail for him? And Joseph gave them every opportunity to treat Benjamin like they treated him. And Judah sees this happening. Remember who Judah was. The man who killed the Shechemites. The man who sold his brother into slavery. The man who took a a woman uh, just out of lust. The man who raised sons so wicked God judiciously killed them. The man who said that Tamar should be burned. This man. This man approaches Joseph. Look at verse 14 of 44. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, they fell before him to the ground. Joseph told them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah Judah said, What shall we say, Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? And Judah is going to give the longest speech recorded in the book of Genesis. And it says in the text that Judah, verse 18, got on his knees and crawled up to Joseph, asked for permission to speak into his ear, 
and quietly spoke these words into Joseph's ear. Go down to verse 30. Now, therefore, as soon as I came, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and this boy, this guilty boy, Benjamin, is not with me, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant, Judah, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. As a servant to my Lord, let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father? The boy is not with me. I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Judah before murdered innocent people, sold innocent people to slavery, wanted to burn alive other sinners like himself. And now he's saying, send the guilty one away and keep me the innocent one instead. Let me, the innocent one, pay for this boy's crime for the sake of my dysfunctional family. What a turnaround. What a turnaround, huh? And this is why Jesus says, the star will not depart from the tribe of Judah. This is why Jesus says that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is why Jesus identifies with the person Judah more than any of the other patriarchs. Because Jesus, more than anybody, loves a story of redemption. And it doesn't matter how far off the rails your life has gotten. It doesn't matter how far-reaching those consequences might be. Jesus wants nothing more than to turn your life around for his glory. And when that happens, he will so closely identify with you. He will rush to you and call you brother. Jesus loves a redemption story. And he would love to see your life given to him from this point forward. Okay? So, when Jesus was sitting at that dinner and there was a prostitute that loved him and a righteous man that didn't, who did Jesus identify with? prostitute that loved him. Okay? So let's love him even if we have all sorts of terrible things in our past. Let's love the Lord and that's the people he identifies with. Okay? Father, thank you for Judah, his story, 
We thank you most that you redeemed him and turned his life around. You identify with him in a very special way. And you want to identify with us in a very special way. And I pray that you would help us to remember that now. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.